0: Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted today to be joined by a very special young lady. I say young because I've just learned it's her birthday. So happy birthday to you. And who is it? It's Emerald Fisk. And Emerald, who I'm going to call Ems, if that's okay, and she's nodding, so that's cool. Ems, I first met when she came on Masterclass, must be about getting on for two years ago, year and three quarters, something like that.
1: June, so just coming up two years.
0: Coming up two years. And I met Emerald Ems on Masterclass. And she's gone off and she's done the most amazing things. And I thought it'd be great to get her in, to kind of get the sort of the beginner's view on how to do property and how it all works and what can happen. And if you're thinking about doing property and if you're thinking about joining us on Masterclass, give you an idea of what could be happening to you in a couple of years time. So, Ems, fantastic to have you here. Big welcome to you. (laughs) Thank you. How are you doing? Really well, thank you. Well, you're looking very well, and as I say, I didn't realise it was your birthday, but a very (laughs) special congratulations to you, and thank you for giving up time on your birthday to come and talk to me and to all the listeners, which is really, really cool. So we met on Masterclass almost two years ago, but what were you doing before then? What were you doing before you thought about getting into property?
1: So um, before what I was doing before then, I was managing, I was a deputy manager to a care agency,
0: do you, um, what does that mean? What, what were you doing? What
1: was, was I doing? So I spent a lot of time in an office. Um, I really, really enjoyed my role. I did a lot of work with the staff, a lot of looking after the staff, making sure they were where they were supposed to be. So we cared for the elderly um, in their own homes. And it, it was just a lot of logistics, really, on where the staff that should be. A lot of regulations and um, it was quite stressful, I think, at times. Mm-hmm. Quite mm-hmm. hard work. And so I quit that when I wanted to work for myself and I didn't really know how to do property or I didn't even really know that progressive existed. Um, So my other passion is sport. So Mm. I was a personal trainer.
0: Mm. Because you play rugby, don't you?
1: I do play rugby.
0: (laughs) What position do you play?
1: I'm a flanker, number six.
0: Wow, okay, right. Small but powerful. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Brilliant. I probably shouldn't say that. Very inappropriate, but I meant it in in the most flattering way. So you went into sport, you're a personal trainer, and how did that go?
1: Um, Do you know what, I actually really didn't like being a personal trainer, so I loved the freedom and working for myself, but I hated sharing my passion with other people, so I was motivating people to do fitness and to get fit and to train, and part of me couldn't really understand why they didn't love it when I did.
0: Okay, and so did that cause a big problem for you? You became quite conflicted?
1: It was a little conflict, but it gave me the freedom to come and learn about property. So it was swings and roundabouts, really. Right.
0: So when was it you realised that you wanted to get into property? What made you think property might be a good thing to go into?
1: Um, I kind of, I've always watched what people do. And I suppose I woke up one day and I thought, um, what do the richest people seem to have? And they all seem to have a lot of property. Um, I bought my first house when I was about 21. And ever since I bought that, all I wanted to do was remortgage or find another deposit and buy another one to rent out. And I just had no idea how to do it.
0: That's interesting. So 21, you bought your first house presumably to live in as opposed to an investment property. And you had this nagging feeling that property could be good. And actually what you said there is very smart, isn't it? Tony Robbins talks about modelling people, finding out what they've got. If you want something particular, find out how they got it and then copy what they did. And seeing people with money, you thought, property, property is hmm. the answer. And it's probably true, isn't it? Yeah. Mo- most people <laughs> with money do have property, whether they make their money in the property or whether they make the money and then put it into property. But it usually seems to work that way. So you were inspired to go looking for somebody to teach you about property?
1: No, I listened to lots of different podcasts and I listened to... Um, A lady that I thought was very inspiring and she. I then looked for more of her content and she had been interviewed by Rob Moore. So then I found Rob and started listening to him and then one of his podcasts, he gave away free tickets to an event. So I got straight on my phone, messaged him and said, I'd really love to come to your event and he sent me some tickets.
0: Wow, and which event was that?
1: That was actually um, the old events, the Business Lifestyle Summit. Oh,
0: okay, Right. So again, not directly property related, because it really sort of came through the back door, didn't you, by a roundabout route. So you came to that event, and then what happened then?
1: Um, I was really inspired by the people, but I knew I wanted to do property. Yeah. Um, So I left it for for not not too long, a couple of months, and carried on doing my personal trainer, and I went to a different business event um, with a different group of entrepreneurs, and Tony Gargan was there as a delegate.
0: Ah, Okay.
1: And um I heard her story but not from the stage so to me it was just even more believable because I knew her in person and we were just sat down having a conversation and I said I really want to do property and Tony said well I do property Right <laughs> and, then, and then I said oh can I stalk you <laughs> and Tony said yeah sure no problem and then I went to a multiple streams of property income.
0: Okay. For anybody who's listening, who's wondering who who, this, who is this Tony Gargan? <laughs> well, Tony Gargan is one of our trainers at Progressive and a phenomenally successful young lady as well. And I remember she came here about three or four years ago and she very first event she came to was an event I was running. And that's when I very first met Tony. And since then, she's gone from no properties to being a property investor and a trainer for Progressive. So it was very fortuitous bumping into her then. Yep. So when you asked her if you could stalk her, what did you actually mean by that? I just wanted to learn. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I asked
1: to stalk. But what I meant was, can you just help me and teach me? Hmm. She said, come along to her multiple streams. And um, and then I decided to do the masterclass.
0: Okay. Well, this actually all makes a lot of sense, because one of the th- reasons why I wanted to particularly get you onto the podcast, Ems, is because I know that there's something about you which is just sort of totally focused on success. And none of this has surprised me. I didn't know this part of your story, by the way. Did you not? No, I didn't. (laughs) But the fact that you did that doesn't surprise me at all because you've always been, as far as I can see, very single-minded about what you want to achieve. And, you know, the things you're doing are exactly the sort of things successful people do. If you want to do something, find somebody who's doing it and learn from them. So Tony got you to the Multiple Streams Property Income event, which is a progressive event, you obviously saw, what, three days of property in front of your eyes and you decided, yes, you're going to go for it. And you came on the masterclass, four days with me and Dixie and Anne, and I guess the rest is history, <laughs> kind of.
1: A very difficult history. Very difficult
0: history. Yeah. yeah. But two, almost two years on, though. I mean, you're doing the most amazing things, which again is why I wanted to get you onto the podcast. But let's, let's just go back to that masterclass, because that was kind of like your first real taste, presumably, of property education. Yep. And we were telling you all sorts of stuff for four days. Did you think at that stage that you were going to be able to use what you were hearing? Were you sort of thinking, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go and do that. Or were you just sort of completely overwhelmed and thought, I don't even know if I can do this?
1: I think my mind was absolutely blown and I was incredibly overwhelmed and I had no idea how I was going to do it. But all I could say to myself was, other people have done it so it can be done, so I can do it. Mm. Just no idea how I was going to do it Mm. or even how to get started. But I'm kind of a doer, not a thinker. So I just thought, right, you need to raise finance, you need to find houses, just do that.
0: Make it sound very simple, just <laughs> do that. Just go and find some money, just go and find some houses and it'll all it'll all work out in the end. Which is absolutely <laughs> true, by the way. And, yeah. if, and if you could distill it all down into two lines or one line, that would probably be it. But in practice, what did that actually mean, though? What did you do when you left Masterclass? Um, what were the first steps you took?
1: So I struggled to find a mine area, which is what you teach us to do, um, but then part of me probably doesn't quite follow things as you should and I ended up spending a lot of time going around the country because nowhere was perfect
0: yeah I mean a gold mine area for anybody who's listening who's not sure what we're talking about is, a, is an investment area where you basically it's an area where you buy your investment properties depending on what your strategy is of course and you were struggling with that yeah Was that because you didn't know the area or because you weren't quite sure which strategy you really wanted to follow?
1: It was, I think it was just overwhelm of choice. So in my head, I could pick anywhere in the UK. Sure. So um, I live in Gloucestershire, Mm. um, which is a fairly expensive area compared to up north, say. Mm. Um, So I just decided it doesn't work in Gloucester. That was a decision I made in my head that might not fully be true. Um, And then I decided I didn't want to do South Wales because that was the closest sort of cheaper area. But I was worried about the different regulations between England and Wales. Mm -hmm. Then I popped up to Birmingham and I wasn't really a fan of Birmingham for no particular reason. No offence to anybody listening (laughs) from Birmingham. (laughs) I just wasn't a fan. Um, And somehow I ended up in Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and I just chose, and then Liverpool was a big city and I'm kind of a country girl, so I was a bit like, "Oh, this is a big city and I'm not sure. So I stepped back actually initially and went to a small town within Merseyside called St. Helens. Yeah. Um, And this was, so I did the masterclass in the June, I think it would be, is it 2017? that, yeah, that been, sounds yeah. about right, yeah. And then in the December of 2017, I got my first offer accepted on a property in St. Helens.
0: Fantastic. So it took about six months yeah. and you've been literally all around the country looking and thinking and Hank not quite sort of jumped and taken action. yeah. But you've been building your knowledge and you knew at that stage you were definitely going to do it. You weren't sort of having to talk yourself into it.
1: No, not at all. It was just how and, and what and a lot of networking I did in that time as well.
0: Very important, obviously, if you're yep. going to be raising finance, then that's the other part of the equation, isn't it? Finding the houses and finding the money, as yep. you put it. So... St. Helens, your first offer is accepted. What was that on? What were you looking at?
2: A two-bed terrace house. Yep. so yep. very... If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started.
0: Very simple. Yep. Yeah, not going for a big commercial conversion or anything mind-blowing. No, nope, Keeping just it nice and simple.
1: Like exactly what you taught, a small two-bed terraced house would fit a sort of young family or a single person.
0: Yeah, nice. did you end up buying that property? Yep. Yeah, Have you still got it?
1: Yep. <laughs> Excellent,
0: good, so two years on. Typical refurb?
1: Uh, Yep. Well, what happened? No, I got that offer accepted. um, But then, in the meantime... So, we had sort of Christmas and New Year, which slows everything down. So, we were going through the legal process. And then I found um, some properties that hadn't sold at auction in Liverpool. And they actually went through quicker than the first property, that Mm. the offer that I got accepted. Mm. So, then I ended up with these three post-auction properties in the centre of Liverpool, and I refurbed them before I refurbed the one in St Helens.
0: It's interesting. So by this time, if you're buying multiple properties like that, I mean, I'm not going to ask you how much money you had in your bank account when you started, <laughs> <laughs> unless you want to tell us, but you don't have to. But I mean, presumably by that time, you'd actually found out how to raise the finance.
1: Yeah, so I didn't buy any of these with my money because my bank account didn't have a lot of money in it. um, Just enough for me to live on, really. Um, So I'd been at Progressive, speaking to different investors, and I actually raised £400,000 worth of finance.
0: Fantastic. Now, I've got to ask the question. When you came on (laughs) Masterclass, did you ever imagine that you were going to, within a few months, raise £400,000 of finance?
1: Um, I don't think so. I don't think I even thought about it. it. I'm very much of the thought, I just thought, get... Enough. So the houses I were buying were under fifty thousand pounds. So I went up north because I thought, well, that's got to be easier to raise that little bit of money. But actually, um, initially, I raised four hundred thousand, which is what we bought them with.
0: Fantastic. And was that easy or hard?
1: Um, easier than you think. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't like to say it's easy. It's kind of just simple. You just keep meeting people, and I kept saying to people, I'd like to buy small single let properties in the north of England, in Liverpool once I'd established that I wanted to invest in Liverpool. So I think when you have a plan, it makes it easier because people are either, yes, I like your plan, I want to invest, or no, I don't like your plan, I don't want to invest.
0: Mm. And the chicken and the egg question, which is a big conundrum, and everybody always asks this, should you go for the properties first or should you go for the finance first?
1: What um, do you think? So I think you should be, you. I think you need the money first, but whilst you're raising the finance, you need to be building relationships and viewing properties and understanding them. Now, you always say view and then offer, and then that'll put you under pressure to get finance. But if you're not halfway up the garden path with an investor, then I almost would slightly disagree with that and say, just be doing viewings and saying it's not quite right for you whilst you're, you're sort of working with investors.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't think there's really a right or wrong answer, and we all have our own way of doing it. But yeah. it, Makes sense to me to do both at the same time, which is what you were doing. That's pretty cool. So, you found a way of doing it, which was buying properties which hadn't sold at auction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Was that something which you'd sort of deliberately thought about, or you just kind of stumbled into it?
1: Just kind of seen them on Right Move. Um, I got introduced to um, one of the auction lads, and they kind of just helped me out a bit I think I think they called me a southern fairy if I'm honest (laughs) and I just think they seen a young southern girl really trying hard and enthusiastic Mm. and so they sort of said right if you offer this then this will happen Um, and that's how we ended up buying three of them at £40,000 the three in Liverpool
0: yeah brilliant
1: and we bought them just we bought two just under so that we didn't have to pay the stamp and then we bought one Just over because it was from the same, it was a portfolio being sold. So it was from the same landlord.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea to do that. And sometimes at Masterclass we're asked, you know, why don't you teach about buying at auction? But I think, to be honest, buying at auction, I think, is quite a sophisticated strategy, particularly for a beginner.
1: So Um, they were out of the auction, they were just after, yeah. Exactly. So
0: the best way to buy at auction, I think, particularly for a beginner, is to go and look at the ones which haven't sold. I mean, there may be a reason why they haven't sold, in which case, I mean, you need to be careful and do your due diligence. Yeah. But if they're not sold at the auction, it takes all the pressure off. It makes it so much easier to buy them. And Um, you're much more likely to get a better price.
1: Well, because I'd built the relationships. It wasn't like I put an offer in and then we were restricted by that. We had to put the 10% down straight away. We were having a sort of roundabout conversation. If you offered this much and you bought this many, then um, I think the landlord would go for that, is the conversation that we had. Mm. Whereas in the auction, you just stick your hand up and then you're sort of tied to buying it, aren't you? Absolutely. Which is a bit scary.
0: It's very scary if you don't really know what you're doing and you're not quite sure what you're buying and you're not quite sure whether you're buying <laughs> at the right price, which is what happens to people. You watch these television programmes, which I won't name, and you get into all sorts of difficulties. Yeah. Well, one thing which I know about your story, which I absolutely love, is that you were based in Gloucestershire, but what did you do during that time?
1: So after the offer got accepted in December on the first house, in um, January, actually, it just came up on my time hop in Facebook, so between the christmas and new year i reserved a room and moved up to liverpool
0: (laughs) brilliant (laughs) I (laughs) i mean that that is showing real commitment isn't it I mean, looking back now with hindsight, did you really need to move to Liverpool to do what you wanted to do?
1: You don't need to, but it made my journey so much easier in terms of being available for viewings, building relationships. We all know trades when you're trying to build your power team, they don't always turn up for quotes. Even the ones you know don't always turn up for quotes. And I didn't have the stress of having to go up there for a day or two. I just lived up there. I got immersed within the community. I've made some good friends up there. Um, So, at the time, it was the best possible thing for me to do.
0: Yeah. So, basically, you're occupying one of your own rooms in your own HMO, was it?
1: No, I was going to take on a HMO rent-to-rent. I did get offered one that I was going to live in, Mm. but at the time, I just paid for a a room in somebody else's HMO. Oh, right.
0: Okay. Um, So, so you became somebody else's tenant. I did, yeah. Yeah. But still a very smart idea. But you don't have to move, do you?
1: No, no, not at all. But I think it
0: shows real commitment. Recently had Rob Smallbone... Yeah. think it was a shout out for Rob there, <laughs> who who also came on Masterclass a few years back and he ended up moving to Hull. But I hasten to add, you don't necessarily come on Masterclass and we make you move. It doesn't work like that. But for, in your circumstances, so with your position, it obviously made a lot of sense. Yeah. And it helped you do more deals.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: But are you still up in Liverpool? No. You've moved home? Yes. Yes. Pressure off?
1: Um. I just, so I I just, it's not I didn't like living up there. I suppose I miss my friends and family, um and so I went up there and now I've got a good connections, so it makes it much easier if I want to buy up there. So I've sort of established my roots. But I came back home about six months later. Mm. Yeah. Um so whilst I was up there, I set up a service accommodation business with somebody. And then I stepped back from that. So I, I ended up sourcing for um, we set it all up and then I left um because service accommodation ties you to the area. So I liked the strategy, but thought, oh, now I'm tied to the north and I can't visit home as much as I'd like to. So then I ended up going back home to set up serviced accommodation there.
0: Okay. So what, what is your main strategy at the moment?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've expanded the serviced accommodation business enough that I don't want to get any more, um, and now I'm going back to buying single lets. So we was at Liverpool for six months. I ended up buying and um, refurbishing five small two-bed terraced houses in total. And then came back down and in Cheltenham, we've got seven serviced accommodation apartments.
0: Right. And are they rent-to-rent or do you own those?
1: They're all rent-to-rent. So we've got a block of three and a block of four that we took on just before Christmas. And um, three of them are set up and we're just waiting for the top one to be refurbed.
0: Right. Uh-huh. But that's enough, you think? Yeah, seven. Yeah, More than enough. Yeah. So from now on, just single let
1: Yes, definitely.
0: HMOs, commercial conversions in the future?
1: Commercial, I would like. So basically, um, I love my single lets, don't love living up north. I figured out that if I buy small blocks of flats in Gloucester, then they're not. They're slightly more expensive than what you'd buy up north, but the prices aren't too bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make single lets work in my area, which I told myself Mm. two years ago definitely doesn't work.
0: Okay, that's interesting. (laughs) But again, you're going to be using JV, partner money? Joint venture finance. Right. Now, one thing which I've always loved about you, Ems, is that you've always got this give it a go type of attitude. And you've done so much stuff in property, which a lot of people just think about and never get around to doing. I mean, I know that one of your properties, at least if not more, you found by leafleting. Yep. So tell me about that. How did that all happen and who... Who did who did the leaflets? Did you deliver your own leaflets? So
1: when I moved up, to, um, up north, I delivered the leaflets myself because I really needed to learn the area. Um, and you don't really know the area. You can drive around an area, but when you're walking down it, you see all the little alleyways. You can talk to people, talk to neighbours. So I delivered some leaflets myself. Um, a gentleman got in touch. It was his mum's house. She'd passed away. I put in my offer um, and he laughed at me
2: mm-hmm. and
1: said, no chance. I said, okay. Um and then three months later, I think the offer he'd had offers accepted and it had fallen through two or three times. Okay. So he came back to me and said, Does your offer still stand? Um and I said, No. Um and then I put in an offer of two thousand pounds cheaper. Yes. And he took it.
0: Gosh, very cheeky of you, but obviously it worked. Yeah. Mm. So I I mean, obviously he didn't have to accept the offer if he didn't want to. No. Nope. No.
1: He was fed up though. Mm. With this deal falling through, I said, "I'm an investor. We purchase. I can purchase very quickly." And we didn't actually have to, but my solicitor's really good, and he he completed that purchase within 28 days. Wow,
0: well, that's pretty good, isn't
1: um, it? So I was at, when when the guy rang me. I was at the VIP at Progressive, so I joined that after the masterclass. And he rang me on the VIP, um, and I told an investor there that day, and they said, "Well, we better buy it then." So we did
0: wow that's amazing isn't it? <laughs> VIP for anybody who's listening is the 12 month mentoring programme which Progressive run here so you went on to VIP as well after Masterclass yep did that help?
1: massively um, because I really struggled at the beginning um, I just thought it wasn't working and I just it wasn't you just need time don't you to view mm. houses understand houses speak to investors and you don't build relationships overnight and I think if I wasn't coming back to the VIP each month um, I'd just have quit in all honesty. Hey.
0: Interesting. I mean, I suspect you wouldn't, because I think you've got the mindset, <laughs> which you probably don't even recognise in yourself. Here, we're getting a bit of counselling live on the podcast. But anyway, it's always a good thing to have the motivation and the inspiration, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you found investors, you found the money.
1: Yep. So I, um, I don't know if you know, but I won the JV award at the
0: of course you did. I remember seeing on Facebook. Tell <laughs> yeah. us about that. Yeah, um, that
1: was a shock. So it was the VIP award ceremony, um, and I when I think it was JV of the year, JVs.
0: Fantastic.
1: So all the money? No, not all the money. Most of the money I've raised has come from the Progressive VIP.
0: And how much money in total do you think you've raised so far then, since you did masterclass?
1: So um, over over half a million. Yeah.
0: And most of it from the VIP.
1: So 400,000 from the VIP. Yeah. Um, And then another VIP that we've got a lease option on some land that we're just getting some planning on, another VIP, Dan Eaton, who's in Um, He, I told him about a flip that I'd had an offer accepted on and he introduced me to his investor, who's not on the VIP, he's just this guy, who then lent me the money to buy this flip.
0: Wow. So it all works, is not it? Yeah, I mean, so that's
1: just through the VIP network, but the money didn't come from the VIP. But I wouldn't have known Dan if I wasn't here at Progressive with them.
0: Sure. And I was going to ask you about the option, because the <laughs> option for anybody, again, anybody who's listening, thinking, well, what's an option? An option gives you the right to buy something, but not the obligation to buy it. So it gives you the choice and puts you in control, but it doesn't commit you to anything. And you found a piece of land, didn't you? Yeah. Which potentially, how, how did that all come about?
1: Um, I was sat at the back of a progressive event. I don't think, I don't know what I was doing, but anyway, I was on my laptop on Rightmove and I seen this interesting um, block of flats actually on a fairly large piece of land and it said that it had lapsed Plan M and it was in the Cheltenham area. So, um, The person I sat at the back with said, why don't you give Dan Eaton a ring? And I think I'd met him once or twice before, so I gave him a ring and said, hi, Dan, I'm on the VIP, like you. He's Tuesday and I'm Wednesday. Hmm. Wednesdays are better. (laughs) (laughs) And um, would you like to come and view this land with me? And Dan said, yeah, why not? So we went and um, we said to the agent, really interested in it, but could you set up a meeting with the vendors because we'd like to do a deal and we don't want to put a straight offer in. And the agent said, Yeah, that's no problem. Um, So we sat down with the vendors and said, can we have a lease option and get some planning? And they said, yeah, no problem.
0: I mean, a couple (laughs) of things there. I'm sort of gulping, (laughs) trying to sort of find the words here. Because, I mean, the first thing is actually saying that to the agent. A lot of agents might say, hang on a sec, what are you trying to pull here if if you're doing that? Well, they also trusted you. You have a good enough relationship with the agents for them to know that you weren't going to um, do anything naughty.
1: I just explained to them. I just said we'd really like to do an option because it's land. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, you can come to the meeting and it can be in your office. But we'd really just like to speak to the vendors and, mm. and see why the plan has been lapsed, why they haven't built it. We just had all these questions and it just yeah. seemed easier to yeah. call a meeting. So I think because the request wasn't unreasonable, the agent said, Yeah, no problem. And it actually turned out the agent that we were going via is very friendly with the vendor anyway. Mm. So they had a good enough relationship that they knew we weren't going to do anything because I think the vendor would have gone back and told them if we'd have offered something behind an agent, which I wouldn't do. Sure.
0: That will make sense. And in terms of actually talking to the vendor direct then about options, did they understand what you were trying to do? Did did it take much to explain it to them?
1: They came out and offered it pretty much. They, They own a fair bit of land i think within our local area they're quite good investors themselves so for them the project wasn't one that they wanted to do they've got a lot of other stuff on the go and they were like yeah take it take it there was a point where we actually discussed vendor finance for it Hmm. so there was two business partners and and the older guy was like yeah we might be able to lend you the money and the younger one was like no i've got enough on my plate and it'll be me that has to deal with it not you Hmm. um so otherwise we might have even raised to finance for it.
0: Yeah. And the, I mean, the thing which I, <laughs> I love about your story, Sam, is because obviously because I saw you on Masterclass almost two years ago and you've done stuff which a lot of people who've been in property for years haven't actually done. And yet you just do it because it's there. You're not even thinking about it. It's not like you've got this, it can't be done attitude. It's just there. So you do it, which I, I love about you.
1: I think I'm good at finding people that know more than me. So it's not like I go into things blind. I just find people that can. If I've got a deal, I'll just find someone that knows how to do the deal. And and I'm I would rather have a piece of a pie rather than try and keep it all for myself Mm. and do it wrong.
0: Mm. Well, it obviously works, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you're doing phenomenally well. And if you think this is how far you got in in a year and three quarters, what are you going to be doing in five years? (laughs) In fact, what do you hope to be doing in five years? What's your kind of like long term vision in property? Where Where are you going with it all?
1: So I would like to have a portfolio of blocks of flats within my area, Gloucestershire. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to want to develop, but now I've looked into it, I really, really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm quite happy with just, I just like single lets. I don't Mm want to do Mm HMOs. I would convert commercial properties into flats if it works, but I don't think I want huge commercial conversions. Um, And I would like to do some speaking.
0: Ah, now that's an interesting thing. (laughs) So you're aspiring to be a landlord. Yep. We'll call you an investor though. Yep. Because you're not actually going to do the hands-on work and be an investor. And being a trainer, because yes, what the listeners won't know is that I've just fetched you from the other building, haven't I? Yep. Because you're here this week doing the five-day speaker training. What are your aspirations with training then? And I have to say that there's a lot of people out there who I'm sure would love to learn from you because given that you are now just a few steps ahead of a lot of our listeners who are thinking, can I really do this property stuff? And you're living proof that the property stuff can be done. I think you'd have a lot to give. So what are you hoping to do with the speaker training?
1: Um, I would just like to do some speaking to start with. Um, talk about property whilst I'm doing it for say the next 3 years I'd like to be an international speaker. Um I don't really know what I'd like to talk about. I just want to inspire people and just tell people like whatever's going on in your life and whatever you're doing, you can just change it if you feel like it. Mm. Um and I think you can do anything. If someone else has done it, then you can 100% do whatever that thing is. Yeah. In most normal cases. Mm. Um and just give people I think a lot of people need permission to just go out and do whatever it is like I just picked up my things and moved to Liverpool, like you said, a lot of people wouldn't do that. But if there's nothing tying you down, why can't you do what you want to do? Mm,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm absolutely sure that you will be inspiring people. and I expect (laughs) to see you on a stage fairly soon doing that. But for anybody who's listening now, who's maybe thinking, wow, you know, Emerald M's, you know, I wish I could do what you've done. I mean, what would be your sort of top tips for anybody who's thinking about getting into property or somebody who's perhaps just started, and they're finding it a little bit difficult at the moment.
1: Um, I think the number one thing is, it's not difficult in terms of hard. It's just difficult in terms of wearing. You just get a million no's, no's from investors, no's from agents. And then you you give yourself all these no's, like, no, you don't know how to do a refurb or, or anything, which you learn on the way. And I think people just need to go out there and give things a go. Um, initially, you just need one investor with one little bit of cash, even if it's just for a rent to rent, which is like a really good strategy, um, then you need an even smaller amount of cash and you just need one deal. And that's, if that's when you're starting out, that is all you need. One pot of cash and one deal. Yeah. Um, and you could, anybody can go and get
0: that. Mm, no, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the reasons why people procrastinate is because they set too big a target. Yeah. As you say, just take it one step at a time. Just find your first deal. Yeah. And when you found your first deal, go and find your second deal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. In terms of raising finance, what tips would you give for raising finance? Because you're obviously pretty good at that.
1: Um, For raising finance, I think you just have to be you. And I think uh, a lot of it for people is you just have to believe you can do it. So I was speaking to somebody else in the VIP community. And they said, I have to buy my first house with my money to prove to investors it works. And I pulled them up on it. And I said, that's wrong. Because I didn't buy my first investment property with my money because I didn't have any and that pushed me into the corner of having to raise finance. Um, So for anybody that wants tips on how to raise finance you just need to be out there talking to people, you need a good understanding of what you're doing or or, um, a better understanding than the person you're talking to and I think a big one for me is I started raising finance when I had a plan so I would like to buy small, single-let, two-bed terrace properties in the north of England is quite a clear plan. Um, and then, like I said earlier, investors can say, yes, I like that plan, or no, I don't. Um, and I think when people are out there and they're looking for their first deal, but they don't know what strategy they're doing and they don't know what area, but then they're looking for money, it's difficult for an investor to say they'll give them the money because they don't really know what they're investing into. Mm. And then I think you just have to be proactively meeting people. So in my first six months, I spent a lot of time at Progressive. So I was constantly—I came on the masterclass and and helped out on it, crew, and we call it, don't we? Mm. um Quite a few times. And then I was spending a large amount of time with a lot of investors, building up a rapport.
0: Uh, well, I was going to say because I, I can't even begin to count how many times you've come back to crew on masterclass, but
1: six or seven, six or seven, <laughs> I should
0: think. And if you're wondering what crewing is, well, Progressive will uh, take a certain number of people, they put them in orange T-shirts, and basically they facilitate the event for the four days, doing the menial things, to be honest, like clearing up the coffee cups and making sure that everything's neat and tidy. But you came back and did that because you were able to then sit in sessions and refresh yeah. Memory.
1: So I need to repeat things a lot of times before it goes into my head. So that was one positive. And also, depending where I was in the journey, when, um, say, Anne spoke about lettings, until I was ready to letter property, I didn't fully understand the problems she was talking about because I wasn't going through them. But as soon as I was going through each phase of what you teach on the masterclass, it came to life when I re-listened to the talks on it. Um, and also I just think because you're spending four days with a group of people you get a lot of touch points in with investors and um, whereas when you're going to the evening meetings they're fantastic but it's two hours of an evening when everyone's tired so it takes you a lot of months to meet that person several times whereas when when you're at progressive and you're at the events for a few days um, then you you're going out for dinner in the evening you're spending all day you're learning together and I think that makes a huge difference when you spend good quality time with
0: people. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think possibly one of the things which maybe sort of people who are new to the scene don't really understand is that there's people who come to the events who've actually already got the money. And you could be sitting next to your JV partner, your investor of the future, who are also learning what you're learning. And so they know that you know what you know, which is pretty cool (laughs) as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting what what you were saying about the, the lady who felt that she had to buy a house before she could get the investment, because we spend so much time telling ourselves that investors need credibility and yet we decide what credibility they, they think we think they need. Yep. Whereas actually, if you ask somebody, what would it take to invest in me? It's usually something completely different to what we're thinking about.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I think you're, you're a good uh, example of that. But it's obviously worked for you anyway, so it's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's because you taught it, Peter. Well, Everything there we, works. There we go. I'm <laughs>
0: blushing now. So are you glad that you went into property full-time then, Ems?
1: Yeah, it's the best thing I've ever done, definitely. Just mindset change, lifestyle change, and um, property was the second thing. I'd say fitness was the first thing that taught me I could do anything if I tried, and then property really reinforced that for me, Mm. that if you want that something, you can make it happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see where your property journey takes you in the future, and I'm also excited about the prospect of seeing you on a stage sometime Inspiring people, which I'm sure you absolutely will do. Yep. So thank you ever so much for coming to see us, and I'm going to let you go because I know that you just sort of rushed up here at lunchtime. What you're on that other training <laughs> course, so you need to go and have your lunch, and I need to look after you. But thank you ever so much for for coming. It's been great to listen to you and hear what you've been up to, and we'll maybe get you back in a couple of years and see how you're getting on with buying your blocks of flats around Gloucester.
1: Yep. Oh, I this can't be wait. Cool. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me, Peter. Thank pleasure,
0: you. Pleasure. So if you want to know about me, Peter, you can also come to my website, which is www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Loads of resources there, including my blog and videos on subjects which will hopefully help you in property. But until next time, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, here's to Successful Property Investing. <laughs> fantastic that's that great
1: brilliant thank you is that all right
0: it was perfect perfect good. for me how was it for you
1: really good good enjoy
0: good. Well, it yeah we'll, well we'll get you back in a couple of years yeah. yeah maybe in a couple of years you'll be doing the podcast you know <laughs> i can't do it forever
1: yeah you can
0: no i can't